The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Daniel 11.32 is a great Bible promise. It says the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits. That means we'll do the works of the Lord. I hope the energy and the spirit of that verse describes your faith and attitude. We can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might to finish the works that He's called us to do. Hello, I'm Christine Darg, and I'm sincerely looking for the soon return of the Lord. I've been watching for decades. And what about you? It never ceases to amaze me how Christians talk about life and death as if they have no hope that the Lord will return in our lifetime, despite the many outstanding signs of His imminent return. People ask me all sorts of questions, and one question I'm asked from time to time is, what's my opinion on cremation? Well, the scripture says, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. So one might argue that cremation only speeds up the process. However, cremation is associated with paganism. And in the Bible, it was considered a dishonor to the people of Israel not to receive a proper burial. But don't forget, our blessed hope is not to die. There's a generation, this Bible promises, of believers who will not die, but who will be raptured. I'm speaking of the translation of the saints, and it just might be sooner than we think. Yes, believe it or not, the Bible teaches that there's a generation of believers who will never die. Hallelujah. I woke up the other morning with a Bible verse on my spirit. I heard these words, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The emphasis was upon the word descend. So let's look at that passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 16 to 18. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So the Apostle Paul encouraged us to comfort one another with this blessed hope. Now here's the sequence. The Lord descends into the atmosphere with a trumpet shout as the dead in Christ are raised first. And then afterwards, those of us who happen to be alive on the earth will suddenly be caught up in the clouds along with the resurrected dead to meet the Lord in the air. And in an instant, Miraculously, our bodies are transformed into immortal beings. No death for those who make the rapture. Now, admittedly, this rapture is the strangest sounding doctrine in the Bible. 
Yet it's a theme found in both the Old and New Testaments. There are at least five persons or groups of people mentioned in the Bible who have experienced or who will yet experience translation to heaven. First there was Enoch, who never died, Elijah. Jesus was raptured at his ascension, and those of us who are living at the time that Jesus descends back into the atmosphere are another group, and also there are the two witnesses yet to come mentioned in the back of the book, in the book of Revelation. Now, the two witnesses will be killed in Jerusalem, then resurrected, and caught up to heaven, apparently, on worldwide television, because the book of Revelation says the whole world will watch this event. Many of us are concerned about our family members and whether or not they'll be left behind. The account of Elijah's rapture tells us that he knew the time and the season and was prepared. Whereas the account of Lot's family in Genesis was that they were violently yanked out of town. So it's a good thing that Paul said this doctrine is a mystery and we don't have to have all the answers. We just need to be ready. Well, one of the best known verses in the Old Testament about the second coming of Jesus is found in Zechariah 14.4, which says that in that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. But did you notice the Lord's feet don't touch the ground in the passage that I read from 1 Thessalonians 4? You see, many Bible scholars believe that 1 Thessalonians 4.17 refers to a sudden translation when the church, more specifically the bride of Messiah, is instantly snatched from the earth before the terrible judgment period known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation, or specifically, Jacob's Trouble, because it's a time when God deals directly again with Israel. Now, before the Great Tribulation, the Lord's feet don't hit the ground. His feet stand on the Mount of Olives only after what's described as the marriage supper with the bridal company, and that's already taken place in heaven. Now, there are many types and shadows in the Old Testament of this doctrine called the rapture. As I said, both Enoch and Elijah were, were removed from the earth without dying, and Abraham's relative Lot and his family were snatched, they were removed from Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed those cities. Noah and his family were removed into the safety of the ark, and they were lifted above the flood waters. And by the way, Jesus the Messiah is our ark of safety. If we belong to him, we're safe and secure in him no matter what happens in this world. It's my desire that we'll be ready for the sudden coming of the Lord, because if we don't prepare ourselves now, we might not be ready when he appears. The Apostle John said in 1 John 3, 3, that all who cherish this hope will purify ourselves. For example, there's the dangerous issue of unrepentant sexual immorality. I'm deeply concerned by the number of believers who call themselves Christians who are openly living together in sin, and they see nothing wrong with it. 
Couples living together outside of the bonds of marriage have increased by 900% in the past 50 years. That's according to a recent report on the news. And it's no wonder. The media constantly depicts couples shacking up together and our generation has been brainwashed and programmed into thinking it's okay. Cohabitation has become a social norm with the excuse that everybody's doing it. But the message of the Bible is that wrong is wrong even if everyone's doing it and right is right even if no one's doing it. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament describes marriage as honorable. It says the marriage bed must be kept undefiled and that God will judge the adulterer in all sexual immorality. And so the Bible clearly draws a line between sexual activity that's sanctioned by God and sexual immorality that's outside the definition of biblical marriage. And to be rapture ready, you have to be sure that you're not living in sin and you're not doing unlawful things that would disqualify you from God's presence. For example, if we're full of unforgiveness and bitterness, if we're withholding honor to God with our substance and withholding honor to our parents and so forth, we simply won't be ready for the Lord's sudden coming. People who fail to talk about the second coming and preachers who fail to preach about it, I believe, miss many opportunities to win souls. I watched a testimony the other night on the 700 Club that was very powerful because a man who was living in the depths of sin was willing to repent and get right with God after somebody confronted him with the truth about the second coming. He got scared because he knew he wasn't ready. And so he repented and started living a righteous life. Now I want to talk for a moment about semantics because we hear the argument all the time by people who haven't done their homework that the rapture is a false doctrine because they say the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, yet the concept of the Trinity is found in many verses in the Bible. But a form of the word rapture, on the other hand, is found in the Latin Bible, which is called the Vulgate. The word rapture comes from Paul's statement in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that believers will be caught up in the clouds when the Lord descends from heaven. Now the words caught up are translated from the New Testament Greek word hapazo, which means to violently seize or snatched up. So hapazo was translated into a form of the word rapio in the Latin Bible, from which we get the word rapture in English. Here's another passage in the New Testament that I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, describing the rapture of the living saints. Paul wrote, Behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Actually, part of this mystery, Paul calls it a mystery, 
comes from the fact that there are two kinds of Bible verses describing the second coming. Some verses indicate that the Lord's coming will be imminent and sudden at an unknown hour, like when a thief breaks into a house. The Lord will break in and steal away his precious jewels, the saints. But in other verses involve specific times and days that can be calculated, starting from when the Antichrist desecrates a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And the only way to reconcile these two categories of scriptures is to recognize that the Bible describes two different aspects at the general time of the second coming. First, there's the rapture of the church, which comes suddenly without any announcement before the great tribulation and requires nothing to be fulfilled. And secondly, the physical return of Jesus to the earth, which, which takes place roughly seven years later, and which does require some events to be fulfilled that haven't happened yet. Now, I want to pause for a moment to say that uh, there's no scripture demanding that you believe in the rapture as a requirement for your salvation. The important thing is to believe in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and put your trust in his finished work of the cross for your salvation. But the reason I'm sharing this topic with you is because I'm concerned about many believers who are living carelessly and they're not ready. Many act and talk as if the second coming will never happen. Sadly, Jesus' return isn't even on their spiritual radar, and that's spiritually dangerous. People who believe in the rapture are more likely to live careful, holy lives with the mindset that the Lord could call us up at any moment because we know there'll be no time to repent. Now here's something else to consider. This Bible is God-breathed, and it's different from any other book. It's full of living words that speak life to us. You can read the Bible over and over your entire life and still keep seeing things in God's Word that you've never noticed before because the Holy Spirit will highlight certain verses to us each time we study the Bible. So in my study this week, I saw something in Luke chapter 12 that I'd never noticed before. Luke 12.36 states that when Messiah returns, he'll be returning from a wedding feast. I was amazed because I said I've never seen it before, although I've read this chapter many times. So let's look at Luke 12.36. Jesus said, Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they will immediately open the door to him when he knocks and he can come in. Wow, this says when Jesus returns, he'll be coming after a wedding feast. That's a big clue about the rapture. You see, to understand the pre-tribulation rapture, it's helpful to learn the very meaningful and beautiful Jewish wedding customs. Now, Revelation 19.9 declares, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, Jesus, the Lamb of God, will be the host at his Jewish marriage supper. We're all invited, but not everyone will respond 
and come. Not all will be listening for the shout and the trumpet call. In biblical and Jewish tradition, a marriage supper takes place before the actual wedding. According to Jewish custom, the first thing that takes place is the signing of a marriage contract called a ketubah. The ketubah outlines the bridegroom's responsibilities to provide his bride with food, shelter, clothing, and to be attentive to her emotional needs as well. Protecting the rights of a Jewish wife is so important that the marriage can't be solemnized until the contract has first been completed. The ketubah is a picture of the believer being betrothed to Jesus by faith. And the dowry is his life's blood, which was spent at the cross to purchase us. Next, at a Jewish betrothal ceremony, the bride and bridegroom drink wine together. And something similar happened at Jesus' last Seder when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And then the bridegroom departs to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride. And when it's time for the wedding, the bridegroom returns to the bride's house with a shout and fanfare to announce his arrival. The bride is supposed to be always ready at any moment, although she doesn't know for sure when he's coming. Well, the bridegroom takes her to his father's house for the marriage feast and consummation of the marriage. Amazingly, these traditions are still enacted in Jewish weddings, and they precisely correspond to the events of a pre-tribulation rapture. Jesus, our bridegroom, has been gone for nearly 2,000 years to prepare places for us. He said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and bring you to join me. So suddenly he descends from heaven with fanfare, the trump of God, and calls up the consecrated believers, his bride, who've been waiting patiently and faithfully and watching for him with our lamps burning. After meeting in the air, will be taken to the Father's house in heaven for the prophetic event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Now, the wedding parable that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, is a picture of the rapture of the church. Jesus, Yeshua is his name in Hebrew, warned that some will not be ready. He clearly warned that a group of people will miss out on the event and they'll cry out to God for entry into the wedding banquet in heaven. They'll bang on the door as it were, but the door will be shut. According to ancient custom, the Jewish wedding feast lasted for seven days. Even today, seven blessings are recited over a Jewish couple under their wedding canopy and the wedding is celebrated for seven days of feasting and celebrations. This is a prophetic picture corresponding to the seven years of the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. After the marriage celebrations, according to Jewish tradition, both the bride and the bridegroom are presented to the world as man and wife. And this corresponds to the time when 
Jesus will return to earth accompanied by his bride. This great bridal company will be seated on white horses. It will be an army clothed in fine white linen. And then the Antichrist will be defeated and Jesus will set up his reign on earth. So when Jesus returns at the end of the great tribulation in Revelation chapter 19, he's coming to do battle because the wedding will have already taken place. Bible scholars often point out that if the rapture was a post-tribulation event, believers would have to rise in the air to meet the Lord and then do a U-turn to come straight back down to earth. Here's another reason why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I agree with many eschatologists that Revelation 4.1 is very likely to be a prophetic reference to the rapture of the church. Let's look at this verse in the back of the book, in the book of Revelation. Uh, John the Revelator says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the voice which I heard was like a trumpet talking to me, saying, Come up here. You see, John heard a voice like a talking trumpet. Back in the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Lord's voice was described as a trumpet that grew louder and louder. Now, John heard a trumpet voice saying, come up here. That's a big clue that Revelation 4.1 speaks of the rapture because the Apostle Paul also used the same imagery twice. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And Paul also used the same imagery of a trumpet in 1 Thessalonians 4. Remember he said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Now notably, pre-tribulation rapture proponents point out that chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation describe the churches and the church age. But after the trumpet call to come up here in Revelation 4.1, the church is not mentioned again. Instead, the focus and attention switches from the church back to the Jewish nation. A lot of believers have wasted time trying to figure out the identity of the Antichrist. But the Apostle Paul clearly stated in 2 Thessalonians 2.7 that the Antichrist, the man of sin, cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Let's consider that verse. It says, He who restrains will continue to restrain, that is, evil, until he's taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with his, with his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. For centuries, theologians have argued about who or what is this restrainer. Some commentators have said that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, and so he'll be taken out of the way at the rapture. But I don't believe the Holy Spirit will be removed, or can be removed, because he will still have to be very active during the Great Tribulation, winning souls, strengthening martyrs who refuse to bow to the beast and the false prophet, and who refuse to take the dreaded mark of the beast. 
You see, the Bible says nobody can be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 declares that no one can say Jesus is Lord except that person is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit will still be here after the rapture. The Holy Spirit will be very active in the salvation of Israel, in the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and in the wonder-working ministry of the two witnesses. I believe the restrainer that's removed is the body of true believers, the bride of Messiah. This seems to be the best explanation. Although the working of the Holy Spirit will continue on earth during the tribulation, his influence will suddenly be diminished after the rapture because the sudden withdrawal worldwide of the restraining influence of spirit-filled believers will create enough of a spiritual vacuum to give the Antichrist a jump start in order to deceive the world. Well, it's a subject that we can't really fully cover in a half hour, but I hope as a result of this program, you'll do three things without delay. First of all, if you've never received Jesus as your, as your Savior, I urgently invite you to receive him in your heart by faith right now. Remember, Jesus died for you and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. He's returning soon. So it's important that he becomes the number one person in your life. Secondly, I want you to appropriate the healing power that's available in the scripture. Remember, you're not healed because you feel like it, but you're healed because God promises this. He sent his word and healed you by the atonement of Jesus, the Messiah. And thirdly, I urge you to prepare for the return of the Lord. All the signs that Jesus gave us in advance are converging and warning us that Jesus will soon return. Whatever you have to do to purify yourself, do it. If you're in a wrong relationship, get out of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to do to be ready for the second coming. And if you have any questions, we can connect on the social media. I also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our news and where you can watch all of our videos or read about our next prayer convocation in the Holy Land. Each day we post important news items to keep you informed. So please tell your friends about our website and thank you for watching. Until next time, contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. I'm so grateful to God that we can make the Jerusalem Channel available to a global audience and to you. There's so much spam in the airwaves and on the internet to distract us from what's really important. Every day it seems that there's another internet sensation, usually a pet performing silly tricks or something like that. The experts claim that our attention span for watching a video is just a minute or two. And even that needs razzle-dazzle effects with a thumping soundtrack to retain viewers' interest, so they claim. Well, that's just not what we're about. Taking God's Word seriously and explaining what the Lord is doing in this critical hour means that our videos are at least 
a half hour of content. And we're honored to say that over three quarters of a million people watch our free video teachings. Now, if we were a big church or a large media ministry, we would have all the necessary resources to make the Jerusalem Channel possible, but we're not. We're just a small team with a mandate to declare a biblical message and to help you understand God's heart for Israel in the surrounding nations. And because God also loves the Muslims, the Hindus, and everybody in the world, our ministry also shares the good news of saving health to all nations. Although we make do with the vital support from you, our viewers, and website visitors, there's so much more we could accomplish in the critical harvest days ahead. One major goal is to offer our videos in other languages, in Hebrew, Arabic, German, French, Spanish, Hindu, Urdu, and so on. But that will only be possible with your help. Our ministry is tax-deductible in the United States, and we're also a registered charity in the UK, which allows us to claim gift aid on qualifying donations. We really need you to help the Jerusalem Channel continue and grow. You can make a credit or a debit card donation online at our website, JerusalemChannel.tv, or by phone. In the USA, it's toll-free at 1-888-245-2692. And in the UK, our national rates number is 300 561 Travel zero five. Thanks so much for being a part of this end time outreach and praying for the peace of Jerusalem.